I think the, the first thing that people need to get their heads around is we're basically bouncing along the bottom. You know, some quarters we might have a small positive number, some quarters we might have a small negative number. But, you know, don't get too carried away about whether it's recession or not recession in, in a technical sense. Just, just think bigger picture. Good morning, everyone. I'm Sarah Minhinek, GM of Capital Markets Origination here at NZX, and it's my great pleasure this morning to be sitting here with Stephen Topless, Head of Research at BNZ and a former colleague of mine. So welcome, Stephen. Hi. We're recording this on Friday the 29th of September, which I'll mention because we do have an election coming up, so I'll just timestamp what we're going to discuss as we go through this podcast. But perhaps just to start off, Stephen, could you give an explanation of what your role at BNZ entails? Yeah, my official title is Head of Research, but really what I do is look after an economics team, which analyses risk, I guess, for our, for our clients. We also look at political risk, and we've got our focus on fixed interest and foreign exchange. Mm-hmm. And it's been a pretty interesting year in markets, quite a complex environment. Perhaps you could give sort of a general economic update and a discussion on how the market's performed in the year to date. Yeah, I mean, looking from a market's perspective, it's just been all volatility. Although, you know, nothing unusual for the last four or five years, but but volatile all the same. And I guess on aggregate, it hasn't been a great year for, for investors. When your bond markets are selling off globally, that's never good. It's not good for bondholders, but it's also not good for equity holders. And while you've seen like the MSCI index, the global index, rising over the course of the year, its component parts have moved aggressively. Uh, You've had things like the Japanese equity market performing really, really well. And at the other end of the spectrum, unfortunately, has been New Zealand, which has dropped modestly, US, which has underperformed, Australia, which has underperformed. So it's been a tough year. And with cash rates globally still rising, I guess there's, there's more of the, of the same. But from an economy perspective, it's sort of been two stories, really. The one story has been continuing to bounce our way out of uh, all the problems associated with, with COVID and, and sort of returning to uh, a new state of normality, which has been great. But the flip side of that is it's been associated with rapidly rising inflationary pressure, a central bank that's responded to that by by raising interest rates. And as as consumers, we're sort of getting beaten up in two ways. One, because prices are rising and it's uh, reducing our spending power. And secondly, if you've got any debt, the Reserve Bank is pushing the cost of that up as well. Mm. And for those listeners that aren't perhaps so well versed in the mechanics and the economics of, of all of those inputs... Was, was that inflationary pressure and the response from the Reserve Bank to be expected or was it quite shocking or how would you categorise that? Yeah, I, I don't know what we expected to be be quite honest given the environment that we were coming out of. But really the, the major problem globally, we identified the problem and that was supply constraints, i.e. The, the inability to get stuff into New Zealand, the inability to get stuff across our borders and most importantly from New Zealand's perspective was the inability to get people. We we knew that was going to be a problem. What we didn't know was how much inflation that was going to generate. And I think if if there's been a surprise, it's the degree of inflation. And, you know, if you go back a couple of years ago, three years ago now, when we first started talking about COVID, I mean, the perception was that the unemployment rate would skyrocket, that wages would fall, there'd be no activity. Well, we couldn't have got that more wrong if we tried. I mean, in, in the end, we ended up with a massive shortage of labour, ongoing strength and activity, 
and rapidly rising prices. And so I think everybody was caught off guard. And as a consequence of that is why the central bank also got caught off guard and has had to behave so aggressively. But it's not New Zealand specific, right? We, we get a little bit short-sighted on occasions. We talk about inflation here as if it's the Reserve Bank's problem or the government's problem. But we've had basically the same level of inflation as everybody else on the planet. Mm. Yeah, we've certainly seen very aggressive rate tracks from other central banks offshore as well. And sort of keeping on that theme of what's happening offshore, in terms of the global economic environment, is there anything specific that you're keeping an eye on right now? Yeah, lots of specific things, I guess. But um, front of mind is China. Mm -hmm. And uh, where China goes, we go. But I think it needs to be put in a in a broader context. We, we tend to think of looking at New Zealand-China relationship bilaterally. What, what happens in China has a direct impact on New Zealand, and we think of that in terms of our commodity prices and generally our, our export base. But again, that's us being a little bit myopic. There's 110 countries in the world that have China as their major trading partner. So if China slows, that's 110 countries that slow alongside them. And because we are an export nation, that means it's not just China itself slowing that's problematic. It's the other 110 countries being impacted as well. And so you then throw on the geopolitical risk associated with China, South China Sea, its relationship with Taiwan. And, and I think, you know, it really has to be a number one country to monitor in terms of New Zealand's well-being. Aside from that, though, there's an awful lot going on. I mean, geopolitically, we've also got Russia, Ukraine, and that's having a, a massive impact on commodity prices mm -hmm. globally. We've then got the US economy, and, and the jury is out there as to whether the central bank needs to keep raising interest rates to slow the economy further, or whether, in fact, that economy is already in a tailspin and headed for recession, because uh, the last thing we want is the US in recession and China slowing at the same time. And then, of course, there's all the machinations of Europe and what's going on there and their interdependence with the United States and China. And, and last but not least, and this is obviously a, a global issue rather than a, a country-specific issue, is what are the costs, both, both direct and indirect, of climate change mm. uh, and the policies that are implemented globally to... Um, to offset the damage through climate change or to slow climate change. So there's an awful lot out there. Mm, it seems like an increasingly complicated environment. We're heading into Q4 now as of next week. What What is your out, sort of prediction and outlook for the remainder of this year and into next year when you do think about, you know, inflation rates, the OCR track, the housing market? How do you think all of those things in the mix will play out here in New Zealand? I think the, the first thing that people need to get their heads around is we're basically bouncing along the bottom. You know, some quarters we might have a small positive number, some quarters we might have a small negative number. But, you know, don't get too carried away about whether it's recession or not recession in, in a technical sense. Just, just think bigger picture. And that is it's highly unlikely that this economy gains any real momentum until the second half of 2024. There are just far too many headwinds. And, and yes, you can look at some of those quarterly numbers and say they look all right. But, you know, realistically, already annual GDP growth is only 1.8%. Pick a number, any number really, but annual growth is going to be somewhere between 0 and 1% for the next five quarters. That's not much. Particularly when you put it in perspective that the population growth currently through net migration is around 2% per annum. 
So while that, all other things being equal, even if, if each and every one of us has got no growth or, or no, no um, economic benefit, means the economy should be growing at 2% per annum. And then in addition to that, the economy is being underwritten by a return of tourists, which is probably added around 4% to GDP. So take away that 4% and the population growth and there's not much else going on, which is why the underbelly of the economy uh, feels quite weak. The problem is that we're still not getting rid of inflation as fast as we would like to get rid of it. It's falling. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, already, you know, we're moving from having a seven in front of the annual reading to very close to having a five in front of it. And, and, and we think it will continue to fall. But it's going to take quite a while before it gets back to the, the midpoint of the Reserve Bank's target band. So that's going to keep the Reserve Bank on edge. Um, if you're a pessimist, you'd say that the central bank will recommence tightening later on in the year, and that, that, is, that is conceivable. It's not our central view, but it's certainly conceivable. If you're an optimist, they're still going to be holding on to rates where they are now um, until probably the middle of next year. Mm, yeah, and history would sort of tell us that, wouldn't it, that the, the rate track tends to stay quite high for a period of time, even if inflation is coming down to sort of cement that outcome, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, the... The Reserve Bank has no option in this environment but to maintain relatively tight tight conditions. Of course, it's it's operating in the same world of uncertainty as the rest of us, so it's difficult. And in addition to that, it's waiting to see the outcome of the election mm. uh, and the policy mix of, of the new government because mm. that could be highly deterministic of, of where growth goes and, and where inflation goes. Absolutely, and I want to get on to the election with you. Before we move to that, you, you touched on the immigration numbers, which are pretty startling and, and pretty high. How do you see that affecting the economy in terms of the day-to-day and the housing market and things as we move into the, the remainder of this year and next? Yeah, I mean, you know, e- economies are quite simple things, really. GDP growth is population growth plus productivity growth. So the more people you've got coming in, the higher will growth be. And the obvious reason for that is just the simple one, and that is that more people spend more money, so your retailers and the like uh, benefit from it, uh, and migrants also um, live in houses, so they either rent or, or, or purchase. So at the margin, definitely they're supporting retail, although if you look at the headline numbers for retail, it, it obviously needs this every bit of support it can get. And I think, yeah, it's the it's the single biggest driver behind the stabilisation in the, in the housing market at the moment is the, in the increase in population. But I wouldn't want to suggest that everything that we're seeing, particularly in the housing market, is immigration related. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the possibly an equally large driver is that the cost of construction has risen so aggressively mm. that for most people it's almost impossible to find the wherewithal to build a new house. Uh, and the cost of building a new house is substantially greater than purchasing an existing house. So I think that um, until you see either house prices, existing house prices go up or the cost of construction come down, then you're going to see ongoing upward pressure um, on, on the housing market. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting that we might be heading into that sort of upwards momentum part of the cycle again. Yeah, and, and it may occur even though the economy is not doing that well. Mm, mm, definitely food for thought. Moving on to the election, as we sit here, we're about two weeks out from election day. 
Do you think that there will be any notable changes to the economic landscape if there is a change in government? Yeah, I mean, obviously it depends on the on the shape of the government. And, you know, if you look at current polling, mm. um, so these are not our forecasts, but if you look at the current polling, um, you are going to get a uh, government which is led by the National Party. The shape of that, whether it be just National Act or National Act New Zealand First, could have quite a big impact on what the actual policy decisions are uh, at the other side. And I guess, you know, it's fair to say that if you have an incoming national government, um, their focus is on reducing taxes Mm -hmm. and the obvious implications, economic implications uh, of that in terms of more money going into the household sector, higher spending and the like. But we do know that some of the potential coalition partners are are less inclined to do that. Mm. So the question is, is how much of that can you get through and, 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 and what can't you get through? But the one thing I would say when you do get a change in government is that you can't implement your policy decisions in five minutes. Mm. It takes time before you first get the policy through the House and then you actually get it implemented. So if you want a national party government and you think that that's going to be your answer to everything, don't think it'll happen soon because it'll still it'll still be next year before you see the, the, the policy response. Uh, and, and equally, if you want a government of, of a different colour uh, led, led by Labour, I don't think that anything they will do will have an instantaneous response. We, we do tend around elections um, to go through a, a period of inaction uh, and that's exactly what we're seeing now already prior to it, and you will see in the months immediately after it. Mm, mm. It's always really interesting to get your perspective. I think we're going to wrap up now, but do you have any other predictions for 2024 that you want to share? Now, other than things won't be easy quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's, rather than looking at 2024 in isolation, I think people need to realise that the, the world has fundamentally changed from the way it was over the last two to three decades prior to um, COVID. Pri- prior to COVID, we, led, we, we lived a life that was inherently disinflationary. Mm-hmm. Uh, increased global competition, uh, globalisation, um, the um, emergence of China onto the world, the use of cheap labour from Asia, mm. uh, digitisation, uh, moving to just-in-time inventory, all help drive prices lower. Uh, and as prices were falling, that meant interest rates could fall, which meant asset prices rose. Uh, we're now in a diametrically opposite world. Uh, Globalisation is going backwards. Uh, there are more geopolitical constraints. There are more environmental constraints. Uh, people are definitely not keen on just-in-time inventory um, anymore. So we're inherently in an environment which will be more inflationary. So if it's more inflationary, on average, interest rates will be higher and returns on assets will be lower. Mm. Mm. So we're all going to have to get used to navigating the, the new landscape as we move into future years. Yeah, but, you know, in, in some ways it's it's back to the future sort of thing. Um, you know, th- that was the way the world was. Sure. Um, and, and if anything, I think economic historians in 40 or 50 years' time We'll look back on the last two decades as being the weird ones mm-hmm. uh, rather than what we're heading into. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Stephen. It's always nice to talk to you and it's always food for thought when you're thinking about you know things to come. So we really appreciate your time and I uh, hope to catch up with you again soon. Pleasure. 
The information provided in this podcast is a guide and is intended for general information purposes only. The information is not investment advice. The information should not be relied upon as a substitute for detailed advice from a professional advisor. The podcast may contain opinions or forward-looking statements and actual results may vary from what is expressed in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of NZX. NZX Limited is not liable for any loss suffered through relying on the information in this podcast. NZX makes no warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information in this podcast. All intellectual property rights in the content of this podcast are owned or used under license by NZX and NZX's written consent is required to use, redistribute or reproduce the content or use it to create other works.